Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, including five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise! The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years! The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Oh, you're on here, Susan. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Was I not showing up? It's so funny. I've had um, a lot of issues with uh, with this with blog talk tonight. Like it took me about this whole time to call in, and then I just um, unmuted you. But it says that you're not unmuted right now. It kept uh, clicking back and forth. So I don't know, uh, yeah, but I'm glad it's clicking back and forth. And I had to call in three times before it would let me get in too. Yeah, so I'm sure the callers, because I tried to call in as a guest, too, just to see if it was working, and it still wasn't working. So so, uh, everybody be patient. 
great. There yeah. seems to be some technical difficulties, so hopefully um, it'll go smooth. But <laughs> we had How a lot are you this fun this weekend in our classes. We had a class on adaptogens. Went out for a walk in the woods and talked about ginseng and turkey tail. And then we went over to the Shisandra vine, which is just covered in Shisandra berries. Everybody went home with Shisandra berries. I made a pint of vinegar. I made a pint of tincture. There's still some more. We're going to salt some down, an old Russian technique for preserving your Shisandra berries. And we're just totally enjoying the five-flavor berry. Do you use Shisandra mm-hmm. at all? I do. I make a tincture out of it pretty much. Uh, I used to, I worked with it a lot a couple of years ago and um, would make like a decoction with it and let it steep. So it was like a water extraction, but now I just make a um, tincture out of it. Mm-hmm. From the dried berries? Yeah, from the dried berries. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been using all along is the dry berries. And, of course, like any herb, the switch to fresh is like, oh, my goodness, we're in a whole other universe. Right. Speaking of whole other universes, we have a woman who will be on tonight who purports to be from a whole other universe. And she arrived here by means of the flying rainbow lasagna. Stay tuned. That will be at 9 o'clock tonight. Aurora. Yeah. The flying yeah. rainbow lasagna. Yeah, I think she calls it that because she created like this portal through this uh, this multi-dimensional shape that she has created. So very interesting. I can't wait to hear the conversation. Me too. Have you had much um, experience with any multi-dimensional kind of uh, things like that, Susan? Like where? Um, like different portals or opening up for you? Well, I don't want to spoil the ending for people, but no such things exist. (laughs) We can make up stories about anything we want to. And Mm -hmm. I'm all for people making up stories. And I enjoy good stories much as the next person. Okay. I recall when, with my friends, we had a Woodstock Women's Healing Conference. And one of the women we invited to teach there did past life regressions. I found myself dancing with her. And while we were dancing, exchanging a few words on past life regressions. And I told her very skeptically that I didn't actually believe that, you know, that such a thing was actually happening, but that people were making up stories. And she said, well, why don't you come to my house for a free past life regression? So I did. We're still friends, you know, 35 years later, so I was glad I took her up on it. And she, you know, put me through a few, uh, you know, paces. Could I do, you know, this? Could I imagine that? Could I imagine that? When it was clear that I could imagine things, then she suggested that I um, drop down into a very relaxed state and then open my eyes in a different place, in a different body, and look at my shoes, look at my down at my feet. And so it went. And because I could imagine, I could imagine that I was looking at a different pair of feet and a different pair of shoes and talk to her about that and about where I was. In fact, I was sitting on a, my porch in, um, I think, um, either Pittsburgh or Philadelphia, somewhere in Pennsylvania. And it was kind of a row house, but there was a little porch. It was a really hot day. And I was thinking about a train ride I was going to take. And so then she suggested that I 
go to that train ride, and I did. And I was so excited because I had a new hat. And I was, you know how you look at yourself in the window, like the window becomes a mirror? When you're on a train, mm-hmm. I was looking at myself in the window mirror, really admiring my new hat when there was a train crash which killed me. Wow. And so, at, you know, then she says, well, come back here. Uh, I said, you know, that proves absolutely nothing except that I can make up a good story. No, n- n- nothing that indicates to me that this was some life that I actually lived. But, hey, I could make up a story, no problem. And Miriam said, that's true. But you might want to ask yourself why of all the stories in the world you made up this one today. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the therapy work that she does is called voice dialogue. And what she does is she encourages us to tell our story, but to tell our story from many viewpoints. And then to have those different speakers of our story to talk to each other about our story. Hmm. So she's gone way beyond the frou-frou of past life regression and into... The only thing that we really have, which is right here, right now, your one precious life. Mm-hmm. When I read, you know, that she came into existence in 2001, I wondered whose body she stole. Yeah, I always wonder that, too. I think it's I think it's really interesting. And um, I have... I've had like um you know like where I've felt like I've been embodied like maybe a past life uh of a different person and like seen myself as different people and but I mean it's never like so significant that I you know f- feel like I know exactly who that person was or exactly you know so I was curious what you what you thought and I'm curious to hear more of her story for sure Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she at least meets my minimum requirement, which is I don't listen to anybody who doesn't have a body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she has a body. Yeah. However she got it, she's got a body, so I'm going to listen to her. But I've heard of, of a, a bunch of these folks um, now that ha- that call themselves walk-ins. So I was particularly uh drawn to her story because I've all of a sudden I've been hearing about these these people that call themselves walk-ins that have like um somebody like a a multi-dimensional being that comes into their body like through like a near-death experience or something like that so Jean Houston in the program the three-year program I took with her on the development of a human capacity um, at one point, I asked the group, we're about 125, and she said, <clears throat> how many people here are not from planet Earth? And myself and one other person were the only ones who did not stand up. Hmm. So perhaps that's why it seems that many people don't care about the environment. They don't really live here. Mm-hmm. Me, I'm 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 a terrestrial. I live here. I'm committed. Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that of uh, the people that you know really identify with the protectors and being like a part of the earth, and as opposed to um, 
you know, people that say that they're, yeah, because there's so many people that are saying that they're, you know, um, of galactic origin and, yeah, it's becoming quite the the talk, the buzz about, (laughs) it seems like, so... Well, you know, if it replaces this trance silliness, I would breathe the sigh of relief. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a whole other um, agenda program that's been that's taken over too. So, it, that one's a hard one to talk about with people. So. Stories. What's your story? Story. Mm-hmm. What's your story about yourself? What's your story about your life? What's your story about what's happening? Stories. Mm-hmm. They push Stories. us apart. They pull us together. Mm-hmm. They weave the days and the years of our lives together. What's your story? Yep. Woman looked I at me am. and she said, my mother's greatest achievement was having the cleanest house on the block. She said, if someone mm-hmm. had a drink and picked it up to take a drink, my mother would wipe the table underneath it. She said, two days after she died, her house was a mess. Mm-hmm. She said, and at that point, I looked at my story and how important it was to live an immaculate place. And I thanked her because she gave me a lot of permission. I take my my spider webs down at least twice a year. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Stories. What kinds of stories do we tell ourselves? Has anybody managed to get through and pushed one? Yeah, we have some folks on here. Let's see. Um, hold on just one minute. The screen is doing something weird here. Okay. Um, yeah, we have our first caller coming from the 718 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. I, I called like about a month ago that I was having a lot of cramps and pain with my period. And I'm not sure if I understood correctly, but one of the things that was suggested was the Don Quai, but like with choices of different to mix it with something. And I want to just thank you because I ended up mixing it with astragalus. I hope that was okay. I want to check in. But it like I just got my period now and I usually take Motrin and this is working better than Motrin. So I want to tell you thank you and I hope I understood properly. So I just want to double check with you. Sounds good to me. Astragalus okay. and Don Quai, perfect. Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate your advice. You are welcome. Thanks for calling in and letting us know. Green blessings. Yes. Green blessings. Right. And just to remind the callers, if you have a question, please press 1 to speak with Susan. And the next caller is coming from the 646 area code. Hello? Hello. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? Again. Hi. I'm so grateful to get 
speaks to you, and I'm so excited about your book. It's coming out so soon, October 22nd, right? As soon as I get the um, hard copy galleys, I will go over them, and Betsy, my editor, will go over them, and we will return them to the printer. And from the day we return them to the printer till we have books in hand will be three weeks. Wonderful. I can't wait. Yeah. And actually, a question about that. You said like a deal where you buy the where you buy the course, and then you get 50, no, when you buy the book, and you get 50% of the meditation course. Is that deal still somewhere available, or that's gone? I'm not sure. It was at a wise woman bookshop. Yes, I checked. It's just a hundred dollars now. Maybe maybe it's over. I know you mentioned a while ago, and I was going to do it, but it's did you check at wise woman school where the course is a hundred dollars, or did you check to pre-buy the book at the wise woman bookshop? Uh, I don't know. I will. I can double check. I don't remember exactly. I think it was. So wise what you woman. have to do is you have to go to Wise Woman Bookshop if the offer is still up. Mm-hmm. And at the Wise okay. Woman Bookshop, you have to buy abundantly well. Yes, that's what I wanted to do. And when you do that, you will get a code or contact information for how to get 50% off your course. The price Got of the it. course the hasn't changed. You're going to get 50% off through this special deal, but you have to buy the book first. Yes, I would love to buy the book, and I want to buy it specifically from the website because I think it's better for you as well as an author, right, if we buy it from the Wise Woman Workshop. It's wonderful no matter where you buy it. I'm always happy to have people purchase books anywhere, bookstore, Amazon, my website. It's all good. All good. All right. Sounds good. All good. So you're looking, and again, I don't really know. Um, But so far as I know, it's not gone. So far as I know, it is still there. And that's our special pre-publication offer. You purchase the book, and you will get 50% off the accompanying course, which has many of the meditations and trances and a variety of different things that are in the book. Yes, I'm so excited about that course, and it's awesome. I think it's your first course with the book, because I have your other books, and I haven't heard like you having a course you know, coming with them as well. So this is great. Um have one more question. I know you don't do secondhand consultations, but just it's like a general question. Uh, my friend's mom, she was diagnosed with breast cancer, and I know I noticed, you know, when people call, um, you always talk about mushrooms, and there's like a website where you can buy the mushroom tincture to help, you know, the breast cancer not to metastasize. I just want to find out that website. There are two primary suppliers of mushrooms and mushroom products in the United States. Real mushrooms, R-E-A-L, real mushrooms, and fungi perfecti, F-U-N-G-I, fungi Mm -hmm. perfecti. Real mushrooms uses, as its name implies, the actual mushroom, which is grown in China, dried Mm -hmm. and ground into a powder. Sometimes they are heat-treated or water-treated to pull out a particular thing. It will say on the individual package when you get it. Fungi Perfecti is Paul Stamets, Mr. Mushroom. He spent his life devoted to mushrooms and using mushrooms in a huge variety of fascinating and imaginative ways. And he has found mm-hmm. that, that the fruiting body is not as strong as the mycelium. Mm-hmm. And so his products generally are combinations of mycelial tissue and fruiting bodies. 
Mm-hmm. And do you prefer one over the other? Doesn't matter, or she should just get both, or that's an individual decision. Do you prefer okay. Granny Smith or Red Delicious apples? <laughs> I got it. All right, that makes sense. Okay, so that was, um, and of course, infusions. And I always recommend to anybody who calls, and I'm actually just drinking my nettle right now. Um, you know, for healthy people or for people who have cancer, I know you always advocate, you know, not advocate, but, you know, you suggest that this is very helpful, and I know it's been helpful in my life. So I think confusions would be another, like, general thing that she could do to support herself, right? Absolutely. And speaking of courses, I have a course at wisewomanschool.com called a cancer diagnosis, help yourself the wise woman way. Yes, you do. I don't know if she'll be interested, but I'll definitely uh, pass this along to my friend, who's her daughter and who's trying to help her, um, you know, not help her, but support her, get on this journey. Kayla had no cancer diagnosis. She decides that she's going to do surgery or radiation or chemotherapy. That course covers that. And, of course, in mm-hmm. general, the herbs that help if we're choosing those things are called adaptogens. And I have a different course just on adaptogens. Yes, I know adaptogens. Got it. I that out. As a matter of fact, that's what we did this weekend. We talked about adaptogens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I will let her know. And last question. Can I ask one more question? Sure. So um, I live in New York, and I, um, trying, you know, I've been listening to you and learning about herbal medicine. And you know, you always say there's plenty outside everywhere you go, and it's so true. So I went to Central Park and I made plantain oil, and I was like so excited about it. Uh, but I was wondering what else can I look for. I know I I know how to recognize plantain, and I know there's a lot of videos that can learn how to recognize other plants. But what do you what would you suggest to look for this time of the year? And you know, in New York City, one of the things we did on Sunday was we made dream pillows. And one of the primary ingredients we used in our dream pillows was the dried flowering tops of Artemisia vulgaris, sometimes known as mugwort, although we call it cronewort. And there was an awful lot of Artemisia vulgaris growing in the city. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I did this last year. So you can harvest that, you can dry it, you can Mm -hmm. make a tincture of it. It's a diuretic, mild tonic. Yes. Easy plant to okay. recognize. Of course, you can also dry it and use it as a smudge. Hmm. I tried it, it once to do it that. Bring very it's vivid very dreams. Dream. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent dreamer. Yes. Okay. okay. And if it's scary dreams, it's okay. Because I think I tried to. I bring you scary year. dreams. No. No. It no scary dreams. Okay, so maybe it was just my own psychic. I got it. Uh, right. Any any other ones except Artemisia, Bulgaris? I personally like dandelion greens at this time of the year far better than I like them in the spring. Hmm. Dandelion is still out, like the leaves. Dandelion is still flowering. Oh, I haven't seen any dandelions. Okay. But yes, it's I'll, the leaves. There's not a lot of flowers. Not every dandelion is flowering, but there's a few of them still flowering. Oh, so I can make a tincture with that, right? You can make a tincture of the leaves. You can make a vinegar of the leaves. You can cook the leaves. Vinegar. Got it. 
All right. Those are good. I'm going to look for those, too. All right. Um, Green blessings. Thanks for your questions. Bye. Good night. Good night. I have a question that you might have an answer for because I've been so curious about Paul's statements, uh, why he only uses the mycelium and not the fruiting body, and what does he do with the fruiting body? Do you know? Well, first of all, many of his blends are fruiting bodies and mycelium. Okay. I thought that, I mean, It's not fair to say he never uses the fruiting body. He does use fruiting bodies. Okay. So a lot of the ones I've the, made my- the mycelium is the actual plant, shall we say. Mm-hmm. The mushroom or the fruiting body is the fruit of it in the same way that there's an apple tree and apples, right? Right. And that apple tree lives on year after year after year for a long time, just as the mycelium lives on year after year for a long time. And the apple tree may have an abundance of apples one year and then hardly any apples the next year, right? Mm-hmm. Just so with the mycelium. So the mushroom is to the mycelium as the apple is to the tree. And what Paul has found, and what has been backed up by studies on his products by the National Institutes of Health, is that the mycelium is stronger medicine than the fruiting body. Mm-hmm. So he grows the mycelium. He doesn't let it get to the fruiting stage. Okay. So it's not like he's doing anything with the mushrooms. Do you have his book, Mycelium, running? I do. I have that book. But it doesn't say anything about that in there. It doesn't doesn't talk at all about ingesting mycelium? Um, it talks, I, yeah, but it doesn't talk about, I did, I was just curious about, cause I didn't realize that he wasn't growing the fruiting body as well. I thought that, that, yeah, I just didn't realize that. So I was wondering like what happens to the fruiting body and why, you know, he chooses not to use that. He doesn't choose not to use it. He doesn't grow it. Mm-hmm. It's like All asking right. what. It's like asking what the farmer does with the carrot seeds. Do you know? Um, probably saves some of them if he if he grows them. If saves you the are seeds. eating the carrot, there are no carrot seeds because the carrot has to be harvested in the first year and its seeds in the second year. And some and some farmers let them go to seed to save the seed as well. So if you're I mean, eating the carrot, there are no carrot seeds. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There's no fruiting body. You're eating the mycelium. You're eating the carrot. There's no seeds. I hear you. Yes, Paul could let a mycelium fruit and have mushrooms. Yes, a farmer could let a carrot go to seed. It's highly unlikely, however. Because the vast majority of carrot seeds are just going to grow wild carrot, Queen Anne slice. It's not a good crop for saving your own seed. Almost every carrot that's grown is a hybrid, right? 
Yeah. So you don't say seeded hybrid. No, you don't. So you just you don't you don't have to worry about the carrot seeds because you're not letting the plant get that mature. You don't have to worry about the mushrooms. He's not letting the plant get that mature. Mhm. Okay, got it. The next caller is coming from the five four one area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Um, I have kind of. I'm working out my question, but I think I've got it. Um, so I'm experiencing this interesting change, I think, with my own power and my value system, with where, how I want to work and be in the world. And um, so I'm working for, I work for a nature school, and then I also am sort of starting my own business in terms of herbalism and um, intuitive work and things like that. And, and I've been studying you for a long time and, and a lot of pretty much everything that you say has become my value system. So <laughs> when I am working with people and especially this nature school that I work with, um, I feel like we, we, we work within different traditions. And so I have experiences sometimes where um, especially in, in this particular group of people that I'm with, I love the people and they're really wonderful people, but they have a lot of beliefs around being gluten-free and vegan and vegetarian and um, dairy-free. And, and to me, I've studied the Western East and I've just learned so much from you and um, and have never really, I, I was gluten-free for a while and that I realized that didn't really do anything. And, you know, I just have a, I mean, a lot of this is around diet, but it's also just other certain things that happen in when I'm working in that, that particular <laughs> arena. And, um, and I feel like when I go to, I, I don't know, kind of like, I feel like I'm stuck in this mindset where I feel like there's an appropriate time to speak up and say what my values are and try to teach people. And then there's this kind of this inappropriate time. But then I, in a way, I don't feel like there's ever an inappropriate time to, to speak my truth. And so I'm kind of on the threshold of um, sometimes feeling like I'm really overbearing and I'm kind of pushing my religion on people and then wondering sort of, how to deal with that. And if you have any, I mean, you're well, you're welcome to ask me questions mm-hmm. to be more clear. Wondering so, if you have any insight. So there's veganism and um, gluten-free and dairy-free and so on. How does that impact you? Like, does it change what you get to eat? Um, well, no. Um, I guess does it change, does it change the work you do? Well, can, can I give you one example that might sort of paint a picture for sure where I'm okay. Um, so on Thursday night, this coming Thursday, I'm teaching a girls empowerment group, and I want to teach a girls empowerment group in a really different way than the way that I am teaching it because I'm teaching it for another school, but I haven't set that up yet for myself like I haven't gone out and created a curriculum for it but 
the girls empowerment, I like a lot of what I'm teaching, um, but we're going to have a potluck with the mothers and the daughters. And the, and so there was an email sent out, which was basically like bring food that is really limited, no dairy, no gluten, you know, try to make it vegetarian so that it can include everybody, which I appreciate, but I also feel like I really want to have a potluck that is just like all inclusive where people can just choose what they need to choose when, you know, they bring food. And now that I'm saying it, it feels a little silly. Um, so it's a good question whether it impacts me or not. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that is, maybe that's just the answer to the whole question. But anyway. Um, so what you're talking about mm-hmm. is the tendency of large groups to try to create a lowest common denominator mm-hmm. and to cater to the lowest common denominator. And what it does is it completely squelches magnificence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I I feel um I just feel kind of yeah, like it like it makes it small and it doesn't make it it's like culturally I don't resonate with the culture. I just I get kind of sad cuz I I feel I just feel like my like the creativity that I see is is like I guess the way that I want to see it is like there's a whole gathering of these beautiful foods brought together and I don't mind if someone chooses not to have something but but to to limit it makes it feel just not as awesomely abundant as I I would like to inspire people to be and um and so I feel like my inspiration for that gets kind of puts it into a small place so um so I'm just wondering. I'm I'm definitely working so I'm for. I'm sure that you know what I say to vacants, which is, why do you hate animals so much? Right. Right. And, and so that's that's. The and they look at I me want. and they say, I love animals, and I say, really. I go to someone else in the group, and I say to them, I love you, and then I take a step step back and I say, I love you so much that you can't touch me, and I take another step back. I love you so much. You cannot come into my body. And I take another step back. I love you so much. You can't come into my house. I love you so much. I'm not going to wear you. I love you so much. Stay away from me. (laughs) And then I look around and I say, is that love? Mm. And then I go back to that person, not the person, not the vegan, but the other person, the person I'm interacting with. And I've taken several steps away from them. And I now slowly walk toward them saying, I love you so much. I want to eat you. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, like we are, bursts out laughing. Right? And I look around and I say, let's face it. When we love something, we're women. We want it inside our bodies. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and I, I will tell I, you, I think I have maybe an eighty percent conversion rate from vegans who I, suddenly realize that they're just promoting hatred. Mhm. Well, do you do you? I mean, I 
I, I guess I see you and I, you are working for your, I mean, not working for yourself. You're working for, but you're, you're self-employed. I don't have a and, boss. Correct. And you don't have a boss. And so I, I, when I'm in that place where I have a boss, I feel like I can't say, like when I'm working for myself and I'm in my own classroom, mm-hmm. I feel like I can say that to people because I'm representing myself. But when I'm representing this other person who does have some of those values, mm-hmm. I get stuck. And that's where I'm trying to make a decision whether, um, I guess whether or not it's serving me. It sounds to me like you think if you say something, you could lose your job. Yes. Or that I'm just going, and I don't even know if I mind the, the idea of losing my job, but more I think it's the fear of of being pushed out and not accepted in my voice and that I want to be able to really say what you're not accepted now am I not accepted now you are not accepted now how can one feel accepted if one is not telling the truth right what yeah so and you know I had an experience with the same this this employer and um we were out in the forest and I had an interaction with a forest service agent who I was asking why they were spraying the plants with chemicals rather than pulling them because they were doing an invasive thing and then I I I wouldn't say that I got this um nature school that I worked for in trouble but they got some of the land that we were working on taken away from them because I essentially exposed them that we were working out there with these kids and because I had a con you know, I I don't even feel like it was a confrontation but just that I was asking questions and and I I got like a school in I mean, I'm not necessarily blaming myself but just more that it was like something that I said that had to do with inquiring the questions that challenged this system of the way they did things. And, and I didn't even feel like I was like angry or confrontational in any way, but that then we, how do you know that these two things are connected? Did they say to you, okay, if you're going to ask questions of us, you can't use this land anymore. Um, Hmm. I suppose it was an assumption, but it, it felt connected. And maybe it wasn't all me. What evidence do you have that it's connected? Hmm. Um, that they wrote a letter saying that a confrontation between one of the employees um, and this forest service ranger was uh, like allowed them to see that we were working in an area that wasn't permitted to us. Was that so, true? Um. I, I well, I think that so far I've just learned that we are I guess they've just given us more boundaries around where we're supposed to be and they've clarified the boundaries and I am taking I, I'm so it doesn't of, they took something away from you right and it doesn't sound like it has anything to do with the particulars of what you said that you could have gone mm-hmm. up to the forest ranger and said hey you big hunk you want to come out for a drink tonight Right. Right. Yeah. That's and they and they could have written the same letter, right? Yeah. 
Okay. Yes, that's very good. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> okay. You can spin any story you want, but this, I don't think that the story that you're spinning has much value to you except perhaps to keep you quiet. Mm-hmm. Right. It is and, certainly true that sometimes if we say something, we will lose our job, and we have to decide beforehand if it's really worth it to us. And sometimes mm-hmm. it isn't. Yeah. Sometimes right. you just have to let people be who they think they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the I, kookier I, and crazier and less rational the idea that the person has, the less likely you will be to convince them of anything rational. Uh-huh. Right. That's a good point. And that's, I think that's something I'm really trying to look at with the energy output that I have, because sometimes I think I really want to make this big point, and I'm talking to people that don't really even want to hear me. So I'm, I'm – I, and the thing is, I really want to share my wisdom, and I want to share my stories, and I want to share what I have to share, and I – I think I'm just trying to find the best outlet for that. That where where I feel like there's going to be people that want to receive it, and that's the I I just I it's like a big passion that I want to put somewhere, and I don't know quite where to put it. <laughs> I really hear you. That can be so distressing, and people, of course, are inundated. With, come over here, listen to me. I have the key to the universe. Oh, no, no, not them. Me, me. Yeah. All right, so it becomes hard for people to distinguish between something that will actually benefit them and something that's just a a come on for them to buy something. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want... want One of the things that I often suggest to people is if you want to be known in your area... As the person who knows about herbal medicine, give free classes. Give free classes at the Boys and Girls Club, at the Boy Scouts, at the library, at the Lions Club, wherever your town Mm -hmm. or community offers free classes. You offer a free class. What you get, and you must get it, is a public announcement that you're doing it. Doesn't have to be mm-hmm. an advertisement, but there has to be a public announcement. The Lions Club is proud to host da 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 da, talking about simple herbal medicine or whatever it is. Mhm, mhm, yeah. And I so you get publicity that is far more valuable than any ad you could buy. Mhm, that's great. And then whoever shows up actually wants to hear me. <laughs> that is right. Yeah, great. I feel better. Good. I was talking the other day about first herbal medicine class that I taught, which was four people, and I figured those were the four people that were interested in herbal medicine, and after that I would have to teach something else. (laughs) Little did I know. (laughs) That there's a lot. That there's a lot and more and more and more and more, and especially when word starts to get out that you're not trying to sell them fancy supplements or expensive things, but that you honestly want to help them discover the green blessings that are already around them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's, I like that. 
Thank you. So yeah. much. Also, just one last thing, and that is that it's a little sneaky, <laughs> but one can always talk about oneself. Mm-hmm. Around those people, without talking to them. Mhm. By telling a story. I tried oh. being a vegan for a while, and I noticed that it really did my health no good at all. I started reading about it, and I discovered that the vegan diet is lacking in critical nutrients. I was quite surprised because my vegan friends hadn't mentioned to me that uh, B12, which is really critical for brain functioning, was going to be missing from the vegan diet. It made me wonder um, if eating that way uh, made my brain not work well and that I ate that way too long because my brain wasn't working well. Now, you have just imparted a lot of information, but you Mm -hmm. haven't haven't, um, done it, perhaps we might say, in a direct way. Yeah. Right. In other yeah. words, we haven't turned to the vegan and go, you are stupid. <laughs> Your diet makes you stupid. Right. <laughs> but we get the last laugh because all B12 supplements now are genetically modified. Mm-hmm. So if you're a vegan, you have to take a B12 supplement, and it's genetically modified. Nah, 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 nah. Right. I, was it Ryan Drum that said something about the the like the little crustaceans or something that's on seaweed too or or no? Ryan says we are ob- obligate carnivores because okay. the surface of our digestive system uh, dies every twenty four hours and we eat it so we we eat ourselves. Yeah, I told, I've been telling someone that and I've been wanting to I've been wanting to quote Ryan Drum. <laughs> so it, it is indeed Ryan Drum who said that obligate carnivore. We are obligate carnivores. I was the one who noticed the crustaceans on the seaweed when I was harvesting with him. And I said, Ryan, Ryan, vegans are going to eat this. And he says, a little trace animal is good for them. (laughs) I love that. I also remind vegans that they're not allowed to eat organic food because it's grown with animal manure. Right. So many many great points to make. Those things for me are very... um, they're so they're so tactile. I mean, they just are. They're like great substance to be able to put out there. You can really feel how you know limiting it is to not be able to eat seaweed as a vegan. <laughs> if you were really trying to follow the rules. And gee, it was almost twenty years ago now that Sally Fallon and I were extremely concerned about the disappearance of family farms. And at that point, a family farm was shutting its barn doors every four or five minutes in the United States. They were just blinking out. And uh, we wondered, you know, if there was anything we could do because we feel that family farms are so important. And we realized as we talked that the heart of the family farm is the animals. And especially an organic farm, if you're going to grow organic, you want a big compost pile, and you have to have animal manure to make that big compost pile. You don't have to, but that is certainly the easiest way to do it. Do it. Helen and Scott Nearing did it without animals because they didn't want to be slaves to animals. But most of the rest of us are happy to be slaves to our animals. And we realized that while people were buying local and buying organic, they didn't get it that those things were only possible because of the animals on the small farm. And so Sally and I each pledged to the other 
that we would spend a minimum of five years being a meat activist. Mm. We did everything we did. We would talk about the importance of eating some meat in your diet. You don't have to be an ugly person about it. We're not talking bacon for breakfast, bologna for dinner, and a lamb chop for lunch. Uh, we're talking moderate and reasonable usage, as most of the people in the world who have access to meat do. And within our five-year commitment, we turned around family farms. So there are now more family farms than there were 20 years ago. And that's because people of good heart are eating animals. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. The opting out has never helped or changed anything. I know. Right. <sighs> we have we have a lot of family farms around in our I mean and the, the community I live in is pretty supportive of them too, but I also have you know this other little interesting part of my community that just doesn't quite they're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> they're not so. responsible for saving them. Uh, thank you. I think that's an, that is another big piece of of kind of what I called for is that I, I think I, you know, like I'm a mom, I have kids and I, there's a, there's like a woman in my community who is a fruit aquarian and I have her kid in my class and she eats grapes for lunch. And I feel this really. Just and how old is this child? She's like eight. Eight. And, well, and I would call eight. family services. I would turn her in. I would have the child taken away from her. So in that, and that's the thing is like I. That's wait, child like abuse. I, I know, and I ask myself, when is if that the child was coming to school with bruises and cuts, would you just yeah. stand by? Well, right. Thank you. So it's it's kind of a question of where when do I step into and and is it kind of a just just when I feel like it's truly each and every child deserves. Access to all food. Mhm. Yeah. I mean, would you if if you knew a mom like aside from the food Italian, which to me is really extreme. And yes, I, I have called family services on vegans who mm-hmm. are not allowing their infants to have any cholesterol, which guarantees that they will grow up stupid because your brain is basically cholesterol. Mhm. Yes. That's good to know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that if this is child abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it, it, I mean, I, when I, it, she was in my class for like a week over the summer. And the whole time I was just, I was like kind of, I just felt sick about it, you know, for like the whole week that I was working. And I just didn't know how to approach it and what to say about it or how, you know, I don't know. It, it, that it, So it's nice to have some. Support mm-hmm. in that way that just to hear you say that that, that that's what you would. Yeah. So. Yeah, I do not. Yeah. I don't talk to the parent. I don't talk to the child because mm-hmm. they are involved in things that you're not going to be able to break into. Yeah. No, I go right out to the people who can actually do something about it. Mhm. And they, I mean, they have a baby, and the baby definitely does. I mean, they have three kids, and the the youngest, and I think they've been through, I think they've been doing this for like many years. But the youngest definitely feels like she just 
she doesn't have very good brain function. Like she has lots of things going on that don't, doesn't seem right, you know? Yeah. And um, so anyway, I, I've never been a one to interfere or in, to inter to like, to say those types of things. And I, I, I think this is where I'm growing and kind of my, my feeling of more responsibility for my community and the people that I see and just isn't something that I've really taken responsibility for in the past. So I, <laughs> I feel like I just needed some extra kind yeah. of elder support. Yeah. 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 It's not okay for people to abuse children by denying them food. Mhm. I agree. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I um I mean my my kids are home because I just want to feed them <gasps> as much as I can. When they go to school I feel like they eat. I mean I I don't have a problem with school in general but they go and they they end up eating a lot of stuff that I'm not excited about. So I just like to be able to nourish them as much as possible. Absolutely. Well, you feed them breakfast and you feed them dinner. Yeah. And so it's really only one meal. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that although they may eat some of that food, they're not really mm-hmm. hungry for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my so, oldest son's so pretty perhaps awesome. you shouldn't torture yourself by saying they eat a lot of it because it's not really a lot. Okay. Thanks. That's helpful too. <laughs> and I, I have to give my oldest son is really awesome. He he just left for the weekend last weekend with a family from his team, like his sports team, and um, he he was like, "Mom, they they were gonna take me to Subway, and they offered to take me to McDonald's, and I just went and got a couple things at the at the grocery store, <laughs> and, and you know he just he just really makes good choices, and I I love that about him." So, and I was even like, you're not going to yes, die. Somebody, so somebody told fine. me about spending a week with a friend, and they were, you know, kind of at the place that their friend worked, and there were quite a few places to eat there. It was a very, very big establishment. And the friend kept, you know, having them go to place after place to eat and would order, you know, like standard American diet, SAD, right? Fried chicken mm-hmm. and mashed potatoes and gravy and biscuits. And Justine kept saying, oh, I want some kale, you know, oh, I want some salad. And finally, this other woman looked at her and said, you know, we just can't cope with your gourmet needs. (laughs) So we've been joking about that for a while. Yeah. Your gourmet needs. Oh, gourmet needs. Hi, I'd like some actual real food. Right. Gourmet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I love real food. Doesn't get much simpler. Mm-mm. Mm. Oh, well, good luck to you, you so and give yourself the space to speak when you really need to and give yourself the space to be quiet if that's truly your best choice. Okay. Okay? That's awesome. Thank you. All right. I really appreciate it. Okay. Green blessing. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Susan. Bye.
The next caller is coming from a private number, and if you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to put your call in the queue. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. Well, I got lucky and got through. I didn't think I was in the queue, and I tried very hard to get in. Thank you for taking my call. Um, This is the girl with the shrinking teratoma, and I had a question for you. Um, that I neglected to ask you several weeks ago about taking my California poppy and the skull cap, and I wondered if I could take too much of it. I, I take the chickweed about four times, the chi- chickweed, excuse me, chickweed tincture four times a day, uh-huh. and I stopped taking wild yam. Um, I'm still kind of in pain, and I take the skull cap a dropper full and the California poppy a dropper full four times a day and it's not really seeming to get it um I have to admit I did take the other day I just lost it and I took an Advil and I hate those things I don't even have them in the house but it gave me a little bit of relief so I was wondering if I could take more or if you had any other suggestions for pain relief CBD Oh, gosh, you did say that to me, and I, I just, okay. All right, and is there a mushroom I could take, too, that, that, that you think would heal me tissue-wise? All mushrooms are helpful, but mushrooms aren't specifically tissue healers. Comfrey is a tissue healer. Okay. I, I Comfrey Leaf that. is an excellent tissue healer. That's my nourishing herbal infusion. Perhaps I should just have comfrey almost all the time instead of... No. Oh, okay, okay. Keep on rotating through those five. Okay, and you know, I have to admit, sometimes I, I, the comfrey is my least favorite, and I find myself not having it as much, so I have to pay attention to that more. Yeah, so be sure that you have comfrey, you know, once or twice a week. Twice a week is not too much. Some people like it better if they heat it up and have it with honey. Oh, I will do that. That would be much nicer. That would be like a tea instead. Okay. I mean, I don't hate it, but it's just not, I I find myself going, oh, let me skip that. (laughs) You know? So, thank you. I I really appreciate all your help, and I I hate calling so much. Okay. I'm sorry to say that the 10-page article that I started this afternoon on one in five Americans is in chronic pain. Here's the latest on what you can do without drugs to deal with that chronic pain. I only got a couple of paragraphs into it, and then I was called away. So I'll be reading that article, and perhaps I'll have some more suggestions. One of the things that I think is that you might be taking too much California poppy and too much skullcap. I find that they work better as pain relievers. Take in five-drop doses, even if you have to take those five drops every 15 minutes. Oh. I, I'm so sorry I didn't clarify that with you weeks ago. That's okay. Just see what happens. And, and- you like take a smaller dose and then... Take more as you need it. The California poppy, I do generally, for for the little experience that I have with it, find that a dropperful dose is not too much. Um, but I like to see it used um, in conjunction with sleep. Uh-huh. That I like to 
like uh, to see the California poppy, like if you can lay down and even take a 15-minute nap and take some California poppy. Okay. Because I find that it quells the pain by quieting what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so if we take it while we're at our busy day, it doesn't really get an opportunity to do its thing. It's like trying to listen to somebody tell you their dream when there's a big commotion out on the road. Mm. Okay. You know, Susan, there was something else about it that I wanted to bring up to you, and this could just be my crazy imagination. But I was doing, the, I, I was taking the skull cap without the California poppy, and then you mentioned the poppy three weeks ago when I started taking it. And I had this feeling that it was intruding with my short-term memory. I don't know if that sounds silly. Like, no, it doesn't like, sound silly. I don't think, I don't think it, it would. Now, let me check. You did get California poppy made from the fresh poppy. Yes, I got herb. herb Wonderful. Herb. Wonderful. Yep. Excellent. So long as you've got it from the fresh puppy, then it should be effective. Okay. And, you know, you also told, you also had suggested I hold the dropper over the cup. And I have to say, I tried it several times and no drops came out. And I thought, I must not be doing this right. But maybe that was trying to tell me I was taking too much. So maybe. I don't know. Okay. So more frequently. You have rest. to very gently squeeze the dropper, right? Right. If you just hold it, nothing is going to happen. Okay, good. I'm glad you said that. Be holding really it by the dropper, that. and there has to be a little bit of pressure. You're not squeezing the drops out. There's enough pressure. That it'll actually... Drop and a drop and a drop, and then you feel when to let that pressure off. Okay. I, I will try that again, and I'll take it more frequently, and I, I am... Shamed to admit that I had to take an Advil. I mean, I didn't have to take it. I took it. Oh, and don't be ashamed. It's really okay. You have not done yourself any permanent injury. As a matter of fact, I think it was a very wise thing to do because when pain goes on too long, it kind of lays down a pain track in the body. Can't get ahead of it. You just can't exactly. get Exactly. And then it starts interfering with your rest. And the less rest you have, the more pain you have. And it comes very vicious very quickly. So I think you're very wise to interrupt that with an Advil. And thank you, Susan. I want to say another thank you to you because I feel like I'm helping it. I'm giving it 90 days. I mean, I can't, I can't live like this constantly feeling like just like I can't put my heart into things. But, you know, if I have to go to the surgery route, I will. And that will be another question I ask you, and I'm going to just stay positive because I think it's going getting smaller. Um, I think it's just things are changing. Yes, I love you that know? you introduced yourself as a woman with the shrinking teratoma. Oh, did I? Oh, good. Oh, good. Oh, good. I didn't even know I did that. But I'm like the shrinking woman. Thank you so much again. Green blessings. Good night. You too. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 423 area code. And those are funny movies, weren't they? The the amazing shrinking man and the shrinking woman. Hey, Susan. You know, I don't know that I've... <laughs> is that you in the four two three? Yes, can you hear me? Okay, yes, yeah, so it just doesn't show that your microphone is on here, so I'm glad that you're there. Awesome, Hi, Susan. This is Glenn. Hi. 
I have been listening to your uh, blog for a, totally a few good months now, and I've been introducing nourishing herbal infusions to my coven. Good for you. And I just and good for to them. ask you, um, I, we really enjoy the spirit of the plant chant. Um, it helps a lot of my um, fellow witches with um, their anxiety. I was going to see if you had any other ones that you could recommend that just um, an overall help. I I lost something somewhere. Here's what I thought you said. Can you hear me better now? You really enjoyed the spirit of the plants. Yes. Um, it really um, – It's a song. In my coven that, okay. Um, the spirit of the plants. Yes. And um, they – The spirit of the plants has come to me in the form of the beautiful dancing green woman. It's a song. Yes, yes. And oh, are you they, asking I, me for I other really songs? They're in body so well. I was going to see if you had any other chants that you could recommend for us to listen to. Do you have my CD, It's Time? No, I didn't even know you had one. CD, yeah. It's Time? It's Time. Got us chance. Okay, so there, I'm that down. So there's one CD that you can get. You can also get um, She Walks with Snakes by Marie Summerwood. Okay. And there's another Got Us Chance CD by... Lisa T-L, T-H-I-E-L. And you can get all of those at thewisewomanbookshop.com. Okay. Wisewomanbookshop.com. All righty. Thank you so much, Susan. I hope that you have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Great blessings. Good night. Okay. The next caller is coming from the 650 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hey, I have some questions for you about using plantain seeds. I listened to one of your podcasts, and you went into it in depth, but I couldn't remember everything. I wanted to make honey out of them, but I noticed when I've been collecting them, they're at all kinds of different colors, and there's all kinds of amounts of shaft that are left. And I wondered which was the best ones when to get them, to harvest them, and what to do if there is a lot of, of the, the outside, you know, the shaft in it. I think you mean the chaff. Yeah, yeah, the chaff. The chaff, um, which in plantain is the husk. Yeah, the husk. the most right. medicinal part. Okay. And should be retained entirely. So I usually harvest the seed stalks of Plantago magus, the broadleaf plantain, which mm-hmm. has far more seeds than the Plantago lanceolata, which is a very small seed head, although it can be used too. Of course, the most famous one is the Plantago psyllium, which provides psyllium seed and psyllium seed husk. And I lay those seed stalks on a tissue or newspaper covered flat basket to dry. I usually harvest them when the topmost seeds are ripe. They ripen from the bottom. I will have lost a few of the bottom seeds. They will have fallen out, but I prefer to have the top ones ripe. I lay them out and dry them. And when they're completely dry, I simply strip the seed and the husk off the stalk, put the stalk in my compost pile, put the seed and the husk in my oven because, lucky girl, I have an oven with a pilot light, so I have an, uh, a place that's about 101 degrees. 
then I leave them in there overnight to be sure they're perfectly dry and then let them come back to room temperature. And when they're perfectly dry and at room temperature, I put them in a jar with one of those little packets that you get with stuff that keeps the moisture out. And then whenever we're cooking rice or oatmeal or tomato sauce or anything like that, we put some plantain seed and husk in. Hmm. I would not make honey with it. Oh, okay. I, I thought some, someone said on the show that they made honey out of it. Okay. It seemed kind of like it might be sour. They made plantain leaf honey. Okay. Okay. Plantain leaf honey. Hmm. Leaf oh. is also used quite mm-hmm. a lot. But I I don't think that I would. The, there's a mucilage in the seeds and especially in the husks which is dissolvable in cold water. And sometimes people just take a tablespoon of the seed, put it in a cup of cold water, let it sit overnight, and then drink it in the morning as an aid to regularity. Oh, okay. So I've noticed when I'm harvesting them that sometimes the seeds are green, but they're very plump looking and they look like they should be picked. And then they go from green to like a kind of reddish color to a kind of tan color. And then they develop like a black color. And so then, you, then, then they're ripe. The black is ripe. The black is ripe. Oh, because it looks like it's moldy. But but the Mold black is, is white. Oh, okay. And so then you do all that with the uh, with the black ones. Hmm. Okay. And hmm. then and then when you peel them off, you get a lot of the of the um, husk. And these little Us, tiny fine seeds, and that's what it's supposed to look like. That's exactly what it looks like. Husk Whoa. And... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds good. I'll, I'll, I'll try that. I had another question about using medicinal oil. Well, the oils that you make from the um, the plants. You can use those every day on your skin, can't you? And then just use them lavishly. Yeah. Yeah, I find them to be, I, I use a lot of Rebecca's things with tallow, and they just seem to really change things. Is, is, is The use of animal fats, I am so happy to see the next generation of herbalists really picking up on that and incorporating that into their herbalism, because it's a piece that we almost totally missed, that the herbs have far greater effectiveness when they're mixed with animal fats. I remember the women in Australia, the Aboriginal women in Australia, and they were showing a salve that they had made. And I said, well, how did you make this? And they they said, you know, well, we, you know, soaked the herb in olive oil, and then we strained it off and thickened it with beeswax. And I said, oh, is that how you've always made salves? Obviously not. Olive trees don't grow in Australia. Aboriginal people didn't have access to that or beeswax. And they said, no, we used to just mix the herb in with kangaroo fat, and the kangaroo fat would take the herb to the bone marrow. Mm. And then they said, then, you know, then we weren't allowed to have, you know, to hunt kangaroos. And I said, what did you use then? They said, we used emu oil. <laughs> and they said, emu oil will take the herb to the surface of the bone. It can't get it into the bone, but it'll take it to the surface of the bone. And then that got harder for them to get, quite possibly because there's a big worldwide market in emu oil. Mm -hmm. And so now they use olive oil. Mm -hmm. 
which they don't find is effective because it isn't. Mm-hmm. So, hooray for Rebecca, yeah. other yeah. herbalists who are putting out herbs in animal fats. Hooray. Yeah, because about a year ago I started to, uh, I found you and started studying your stuff. And um, I had a, I think it's called actinus keratosis, like a kind of, on my face. Um, and I called you about it, and I used all kinds of things, and it pretty much stayed at, at bay, you know, it just kind of stayed the same, but it didn't get any worse. And I started using her chickweed with calendula in the tallow and just rubbing it in, and it really started to, um, you know, it's slow. I've been doing this for a year now, but it, it seems to take away a lot of that kind of fuzziness that you get in that condition. So oh, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you. Oh, wait, I had another question. Okay. Let's see. Um, the film on the vinegar, is that what people call the mother and they use it? Or what does that mean the vinegar? the vinegar? When you make it like a medicinal vinegar. You know, I don't know what you you're put, talking about. You know, when you make a like you say make comfrey vinegar or plantain vinegar with a fresh plant in the in the vinegar, uh-huh. and sometimes it gets a little film. Pasteurized that vinegar. Vinegar. Have you pasteurized it? Have you taken I'm not the sure because I started using it up to a boil the, and then let it cool before you used it. Have you pasteurized it? Um, no. The, the lethal. Yeah, these were ones that when I first started, and I didn't really know the difference. So, so okay. I don't know what you, you have growing in your vinegars. Yeah, I I, di- I got rid of them because I didn't know either. I have no idea what it is. Yeah. It might be okay. benign. It might not. If it's a white precipitate at the bottom of the jar of roots, it's inulin. Mm-hmm. Just some white thing floating around that is not a mother. A mother looks kind of like a fleshy pancake. Okay. Okay. All right. But pasteurize that vinegar before you use it. No, right. I think I'm just going to do like you said and buy the um, just the store vinegar that you still isn't have to pasteurize vinegar. Yeah. Right. You have to pasteurize okay. all vinegar if you want to make vinegars that will last for a while. Yeah. Then you use them up within three to six months. You don't have to pasteurize it. Uh huh. How long will they last if you I have vinegars past- I made 25 years ago that are still just fine. Oh, wow. That's good to know. And the oils you should use in a, in a year? Within two years. Within two years. Oh, good. Then I yeah. have some time. The animal that. fats stay good longer, however. They're much more resistant to rancidity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Good. All right? Yeah. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Yay for animal fats. Yay for animal fats. Looks like we just have one more person with their hand raised, but we can probably get to a couple more callers. If you have a question, please press 1. The next caller is from the 415 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi, I didn't know. This is wonderful. Um, I have a question. I've had asthma for 32 years. I'm 34 years old. 
And I'm wondering what herbs could I use to help get off of the inhaler? Are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions right now? I just started this week with nettles. I'm not sure what that means. There are five nourishing herbal infusions. Um, so, so far you've only made nettle, but the n- yeah. that after that you're going to make comfrey, and then you're going to make oat straw, and then you're going to make red clover, and then you're going to make linden? Well, I purchased all of the above minus red clover. Okay, you have something against red clover. Um, I just couldn't find it. Understood. So you've only had time to make one quart of nettle, but you'll go on and you'll use the others. Yeah. Okay. That's but I'm okay. not going to do this daily, take all of them daily? No! Okay. That's why I'm calling. You rotate through them. You make a quart of one of them and you drink that. The next day you make a quart of another one and you drink that. Okay. Um, okay, that makes me sense. Now, so I hear a lot of nettle and you've drunk that. Now, make a quart of oat straw and drink that. Then make a quart of linden and drink that. Okay. So I should never yeah, they are all They are all very important um, in terms of general health. We can't have healthy lungs if our general health is not there. So we need to promote general health as well as focus in on the lungs. Linden is a wonderful anti-inflammatory and definitely helps people get off inhalers. The specific herb for the lungs that you can add to your nourishing herbal infusions, but you can add this one on a daily basis, is mullen milk. And you make the mullen just like you make any other infusion. You weigh out one ounce. What kind of scale do you use? Um, so I use this scale at the store. Uh-huh. And, I, and just weigh and out I, one ounce bags at the store. Yeah. Okay. That's a pretty expensive way to do it. You'll find you want to buy your own scale and buy herb by the pound rather than by the ounce. Okay. A pound of organic nettle is $8. Where? From Frontier. Frontier, okay. How much are you paying for an ounce of nettle? Like half of that, $4. So I get 16 ounces for what you're paying for one ounce. Okay, I will look up Frontier. Okay, Frontier, Um, Mountain Rose, if you want to buy your herb, buy the pound, not buy the ounce. Really, a scale is not not that much money, $25, $30. So you weigh out one ounce of mullein leaf, which Mm -hmm. you can get from Mountain Rose or Frontier or any other supplier. Make an infusion with a quart of boiling water. Let it sit for four hours or overnight. Strain it. And then when you are going to drink it, it's going to be half mullein infusion and half milk because the great healer of the lungs is milk. Oh, okay. I like this. And If you like chai, if you like spicy things, then you can Mm -hmm. add some chai spice to your mullein milk as you're heating it up. Stick of cinnamon, a few cloves, some coriander, any of that that you like. 
Okay, so I'm a little confused. So you, you explained how to make the tea infusion, and you said add water. But um, mullen infusion, one ounce of mullen, one quart of water. Make the mullen infusion. Strain it. Now you have a quart of mullen infusion. You are going to drink a cup a day, which is one half cup mullen infusion, one half cup milk. Oh, oh okay, got it, got it, got it. And I do well. How long do I do this for until I just feel better? Till you feel better. Till so you don't need your inhaler. Great, thank you. That quart of mullen infusion that you make should last you a week, right? Yes. Yes. And you'll do that in addition to your other infusions. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much. Good. All right. <laughs> Green blessings. Bye. Okay. Let's see here. The next caller is coming from the 978 area code. Hi, Susan. Uh, Hi. Yeah, I'm uh, wondering. Uh, I don't have a dehydrator, and uh, I just collected some. I don't either. Uh, yeah, I just collected some Joe Pie uh, roots, and uh, I don't know if you've ever done that, but they are uh, pretty tedious as far as like separating them from mud. So I had to uh, dunk them in the nearby, you know, water hole or a uh, little stream there was there. Mm-hmm. So um, they're they're still. So wet. you're living someplace where there's already been frost. Oh no, no no no! It's it's pretty mild here actually. I'm in Massachusetts. Well, generally, I don't dig roots until after frost. Oh okay. So I'm all yeah. So you're a little my... previous. Huh? You're a little you're a little prior. You're a little previous. You're pulling out the root when the root's not ready. Yeah, I guess. I, uh, so most roots need to be washed to have the actual soil washed off of them. I'm uh, unclear as to why that's a question. No, my question is they're still wet. And the last time I tried to dry some roots that were, like, mildly wet, they uh, uh-huh. developed. Are you drying them whole or are you slicing them? Um, I Well, the, the last time I tried that out. It was with blue flag roots. Um, this it time, was what? The la- I, yeah, actually, the last time it developed mold was when I uh, did blue fl- flag roots, and I just I think I did them whole. Yeah. Sorry, when you did what roots, you're breaking up. Can you hear me now? Better, yes. You got mold on what root? So, so last time I tried it, when I, the blue flag root, iris species. There's so few uses for blue flag, and it's so rare. What are you using it for? Uh, experimentation. <laughs> I think I can want to, you know. I didn't, I'm into the eclectic. I, I don't. Part. I, I don't. I, I'm not getting the impression from you that you are bringing enough respect to your work with the plants. Respect. Respect. Oh no, I'm, I'm respectful. Respect. What do you mean? You would dig blue flag to experiment with. It's a rare plant. Oh, uh, not in my area. Okay, so it's cultivated. You dead cultivated blue flag? Uh, no, just wild. And there's acres of it there. Uh, it's pretty common. I didn't know that it was uh considered endangered. I did not say endangered. I said rare. Oh, okay. The fairly yeah, well, rare plant. 
I've oh, seen okay. it maybe three or four times growing in the wild. I've seen it much more in my area, personally, but... I totally understand, but that's just your area, and just to... I and hope I only, you only picked one or two roots. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. I only harvested one. I didn't, like, you know, harvest And then the why are you drying them? Why aren't you making a tincture of them? Well, I was drying them for a tincture. I would never make a tincture with a dried root. What an absurd thing to do. Uh, well, I couldn't get right. the fresh root. I mean, if I was pressed and I wanted a tincture of a root that I couldn't get fresh, I would make it from the dried root, but harvest fresh root and then dry it to degrade it to make your remedy half as good? Why? <laughs> uh, because Michael Moore said so. I'm just following what, you know, uh, other herbalists... Oh, him? Like. Don't call me. And he's dead. Okay. Well, you know, it's not considered, like, overly safe from what I researched, so most people don't recommend it. If you want to make something that's very drug-like, then you go out, you harvest roots that are rare and poisonous, and you dry them, and you grind them up, and you pour high-proof alcohol over it, and you make something that's as drug-like as possible. I don't like to do that. I'm not a poisoner. It's not my interest. I'm a druggist. I don't want to make drugs out of plants. So right. I use my roots and my plants fresh when I make a tincture. Hmm. And I chop oh. up that fresh root and I fill a jar with that fresh root and then I pour 100 proof vodka over it. And that 100 proof vodka extracts from it both the alcohol soluble constituents and the water soluble constituents, giving me a full blend of all the synergistic effects that that herb can have and making it as least like a drug as possible. Huh. Okay. Well, I, I guess that most people, I, it wasn't just Michael Moore. I think I uh, read some old... Um... Most people like to turn herbs into drugs. I don't. I'm an herbalist, not a druggist. Well, how would it be any different from freshes? As far as like, you know, oh my be, gosh, it's incredibly uh, different. I, I understand it'll be different, but I'm totally saying totally different. It'll be more potent. First of, first of all, you don't have to worry about mold. Right well, there, well, you got a big advantage. You don't have to worry about your roots molding up. You dig them, you rinse them, you chop them, you make your tincture. Wham! How easy. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, if, if you tincture, how is the tincture going to be different? The tincture is going to be different because you still have the water-soluble components, which you have not dehydrated out of it. Right. But I thought that's why when you think You've lost over 50% of the constituents once you dry it. Hmm. Okay. And those constituents are the moderating constituents, the nourishing constituents, the tonic constituents, the least poisonous parts of the plant. And the reason that medical herbalists dry their plants is to get rid of those things so they have the most poisons left. Hmm. So do you think there's ever a time for uh, dry root tinctures? If I cannot get the fresh root and I really want that plant, I will make a dried root tincture. I have made dried echinacea root tincture. And I'll use it for my animals, but I get students to dig fresh echinacea root, which I tincture for myself. I wouldn't take dried dried echinacea root tincture for myself. 
Right. Well, uh, so it, what would your dosage be it's, on? You know, but uh, it's, it's good enough for the a dose of echinacea. It's no, a no, drop no, for every two pounds of body weight. No, blue flag. I was. I don't use blue flag. It's rare plant. I don't use rare plants. Right. So that's why I'm just following what you know people have uh, otherwise stated before about blue flag, like the use of it. So like, I don't, I don't want to go out. And there. how are they using it? Like I said, it's mostly used uh, small doses in a one to five ratio. All doses so. for what? Uh, as an alternative. Uh, it was, you know, used for like syphilis mostly back in the day, but I know they stopped using it because it was uh, considered. You understand that 50% of the people who get syphilis will spontaneously have a remission, and therefore there are hundreds of herbs that were used for syphilis, for syphilis in which half of the people got better. Mm-hmm. Right. None of them work. None of them work? None of them work. Uh, I don't know. That uh, uh, seems kind of preposterous to say that none of those alternatives work, like uh, like poke root. Oops. To get rid of syphilis, we're talking about syphilis here, yes? Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Poke I, I was is not an alternative. Like poke, Henry, poke is an outright stimulant. Poke isn't an alternative. No, it's a stimulant. An alternative gently alters body functioning. Poke does not gently do anything. Oh. Not a gentle plant. Right. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, uh, most of these, you know, highly poisonous plants aren't recommended in, like, uh, large... And I would never use dried poke root. That's really dangerous. What? Wait, you said it's more dangerous to use than dry? Incredibly dangerous to use it dried. Oh wow! Because I, I figure I thought that was like it was generally more dangerous if if it's fresh, as far as these poisonous uh, herbs go. I have only ever used tincture of fresh poke root. No, yeah, I mean I do too, but I'm, I was. The dried that. root is used to erode holes in tissue to extrude cancer. Whoa. <laughs> I've never heard that. Right? There's a caustic substance in it. That's what the poison is. That tears up um, mucus cells and skin cells. Oh, oh yeah, poke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand That's that. what I we're talking about, that. poke, right? I, I thought you meant like, oh. I thought we were talking about poke. I stay on yet. subject. You might go off subject, but I'm staying on subject. Okay. Well, anyways, my original question was, uh, so like without a dehydrator, what's What's a good way to ensure that these... Don't uh, dry it. I go back to my original answer. Don't. No, I, but my original... Dry it. Make a picture from fresh root. If that's what you have, don't dry it. And you're going to make a tincture. Don't dry it. Just make the tincture right away, and then you don't have to worry. If I am going to dry a plant then I usually don't wash it. Right. Um, by the way, this, I, I was originally talking about sweet Joe pie fruit. Okay. Not, not the blue flag. I was just All right. I tried drying uh, some... Uh-huh. And what are you going to do with the Joe pie? Um, 
I think just my uh, general goal is to dry it so and powder it. And then what? And then take it into uh, my body. So I, I, was I do not find big powdered herbs are very worthwhile. In fact, I believe that dried powdered herbs are the least effective form of any plant that can be used. There's a few plants that I use powdered, but very few. I keep astragalus powder in the kitchen. But astragalus is pretty bland and nutritive, right? Mm-hmm. Susan, it's time for the interview. Woohoo! Okay. So we'll get to the interview in just one second. I just I have John Lust here, and I just want to see H-I-J, Joe Pieweed 364, and that's the herb number, not the number. Okay, 367, 360, for Queen of the Meadow, that's the name I know it by, Queen of the Meadow, astringent diuretic, has been mostly used as a diuretic for kidney problems, urinary difficulties, gravel, dropsy, rheumatism, and neuralgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've already... Uh, so this is I, not the kind of plant you just take on a lark. What was that? You don't just take Joe Pie weed for a lark. You take it because you have a serious kidney problem. Right. Make and, a tincture uh, of it. Then when you have a serious kidney problem, you can, you'll have it available. Okay, well, just in general, like if, if I happen to, uh, you know, have some wet roots on hand, whether it's Joe Pie or Blue Flag, um, I don't have a dehydrator. Should I, like, dry it with towels? Hi. Call back next week. Green blessings and welcome to Aurora. Aurora. Susan, um, I just have to say that we need to call her because she was having a hard time calling in. So I'm gonna see if this will oh. work. All right. So I'll call her um, right now. Blank air is Rebecca calling Aurora. Aurora was having some problem getting in, as almost everybody was tonight. Thank you all for calling and having some questions ready. Um, if Aurora, if you happen to be here, will you press one so I can see your call in the queue? Yeah, it's not even dialing up, so let me try one more time. You need a galactic area code. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, if you want to just go ahead and introduce her, and uh, I can try at the end of the introduction. Okay. Okay. But we don't have her. We're it's not dialing for reason. 
Won't be you can't dial her? Yeah, it's not working. The phone number we have is not working. Well, the phone, her phone number is probably working, but it's not. the The system is. Um, I keep getting notified that the system um, is working to fix the technical difficulties, but right now it's not. It's not working. So we'll try. We'll try again in a minute here after you introduce her. Aurora claims to be a galactic walk-in. She says that is an abstract consciousness and that she is a newcomer to the human form. She claims to have come into this physical body. We're going to assume that means the one that she's walking around in and we don't know where she got it from. In 2001, we are assuming that she's older than 18 years old and that she did not come in in the normal way of coming in through having a human mother here and being born by that mother. In fact, she says she came in through a hyper-dimensional portal and that she spontaneously created that hyper-dimensional portal and that she has named it Flying Rainbow Lasagna. Isn't it amazing that an abstract consciousness can know about lasagna? One would think that abstract would preclude the knowledge of lasagna or rainbow or even flying, in fact, because those are far from abstract terms. Since that time, Aurora has focused on accurately depicting in her drawings, paintings, sculptures, and animations the harmonic patterns with which energy flows throughout the cosmos. And on teaching humanity about the positive impact the flying rainbow lasagna shape can have on one's genetic code. Having a difficult time understanding why I would want my genetic code to be impacted does not sound safe or fun to me to have my genetic code impacted, but perhaps I do not understand what an impact is, or perhaps since she's new to the human form, she doesn't use words in the standard way. Seven years ago, Aurora authored an online class called Lasagna for Full Spectrum Humans and has taught an ever-growing student body of participants. Hmm, I wonder if there's a student body of non-participants from around the world about how to do the flying rainbow lasagna dance. Now that sounds like fun. Maybe we can get her to teach us some flying rainbow lasagna dance steps. She has weekly live webinars. She has recorded videos. She also composed the music for and created an immersive flying rainbow lasagna concert, which included her animation and her artwork. Hi, this is Aurora. Please leave me a message. At the tone, Hello? please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hey, Aurora! Hey there. Hyperdimensional portal right here. Come on through. <laughs> Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's wonderful to talk with you. Great. I'm sure that everybody wants to know what flying rainbow lasagna is. Start there. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay, sorry about that. That's, that's also my loud little dog, so sorry about that. Flying rainbow lasagna is an interdimensional portal shape that a person embodies with their DNA. So what I like to say is that in terms of uh, star travel, you know, if you're thinking about UFOs or something like that, the real experts do star travel, but without a clank-clank metal spaceship. We do it using nothing more than consciousness, and willpower, and it is carried by a tone of love, literally like a, a musical tone here. I'm going to play a little musical tone here. here. Here's an A note at 432 hertz. Imagine that that music is like the gas that makes your car go, and then the vehicle or the shape that all of this flows through is like a higher dimensional tourist shape that I've named Flying Rainbow Lasagna. I know that's a very long uh, explanation. I hope, I, I'm sure it's not too much for you or your audience. I'm sure everyone here is quite on the ball. Well, I'm not even sure that I understand at all. The Flying okay. Rainbow Lasagna is a shape and it's a tone. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a waveform. So, so um, I'm, primarily, I'm primarily a visual artist, but I'm also an auditory artist. And I make these paintings and sculptures and animations of it. Of the flying rainbow lasagna. That's right. So it's a shape that you can visualize along the lines of a Merkaba or a star tetrahedron, if you or your audience know what that is. It's like a, a visualization that you can perform with, you know, your ability to visualize or your imagination. And it has an effect on your energy field and your DNA and your consciousness. And so it's, uh, if anyone knows what a torus or a donut shape is, that's has, like the precursor. Yeah, you, that's like the primary form that we begin with. And then just like a cube can transform into a tesseract, if you put it in a higher dimensional state, a torus can transform into a flying rainbow lasagna if you add another dimension and put it into a higher dimensional state. This might all sound like math talk, like another language. When I teach my students about this, because I have a whole class all about this, I use a lot of diagrams and a lot of, a lot of my artwork is diagrammatical um, in order to share the, the, the ideas are a bit challenging to just, I, I paint a picture of my voice, but I know it can be, a, sorry for any beeping there, I know it can be a bit challenging um, to, to understand it, uh, to apprehend it without looking at it, because it's really, it's about time. You have reached the timeline. maximum time permitted for recording your message. If you're satisfied with the message, press 1. To listen to your message, press 2. To erase and re-record, press 3. Now talking to us. Yeah, I'm so sorry that there is an automated voice. I'm so sorry. Here. If you're satisfied with the message, press 1. To listen to your message, press 2. I'm so sorry. To erase and re-record, press 3. I think because That's it was calling on lines, yes. um, it was my fault, If actually, you're satisfied so with the message, press 1. To listen to your message, press I'm 2. To erase and re-record, press 3. I'm pressing every button. I apologize. I don't know how to, how to stop this from happening. I don't, Sorry, you're having trouble. Your message has been sent. Please try again later. Goodbye. Okay, there we oh, go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> technology. Thank goodness. We got, Thank goodness. Okay, so what's... Got to laugh about technology here. Apologies there. So what you're saying basically is that we're not going to be able to visualize or even imagine the flying rainbow lasagna. We're going to have to go to your website to see it. Is that what you're telling us? Oh my, oh, my goodness. I would really suggest that if a picture is worth a thousand words and animation is worth a million of the flapping of my moving mouth parts, 
So, yeah, um, you know, you can uh, definitely skip cut right. the chase. You can look at, um, mm-hmm. I don't mean it's to interrupt you. Can you hear me okay? FlyingRainbowLasagna.com. That's right. And I spe- as if it isn't long enough and cumbersome enough, I spell lasagna with an E on the end. So that's L-A-S-A-G-N-E.com. And on my website, you can find a bunch of wonderful things. There's one aspect that is just art. If you just want to look at my physical artwork, they're all paintings, and none of them are computer-generated, and they're paintings of this higher-dimensional time space. You can also check out some animations and videos that I have linked there that show an animation of what this flying rainbow lasagna waveform shape is like. And there are also links to my online class because this is like a heavy conceptual type of thing, I, I you know, portray it in my artwork, but I understand there's a lot of intellectual ideas that are in there and concepts that I don't want to get lost just by understanding it's, it's not just a decorative art piece. Um, I teach a class all about this. And the class involves some math, but I never want anyone to run in the opposite direction because they're like, no, I hate math. So I reassure you that the math is very fun or accessible. It is not tedious. And I designed the whole thing for, you know, the, the totally untrained new, new person, a novice. You don't have to be a mathematician or a quantum scientist to understand what I'm talking about. I make it accessible to everyone. And the idea is that learning about this is very empowering. Like you learn about your own energy body, your own connection to time. Not everybody knows that it is the dance movement of your DNA that literally connects you to time and propels you from moment to moment. That's a pretty big thing. So once you understand that you're dancing your way through time, then the next step is to learn some new dance movements. Learn, learn some new steps. Like if you're doing the Watusi and you don't exactly like the direction you're going, hey, maybe you can learn the waltz. Or you can learn a dance that I invented that is called the Flying Rainbow Lasagna. So it's my dance. I invented it, but I'm not the only person that can ever do it. So it's just like, you know, if a person writes a song, or it's like if Led Zeppelin wrote the song, Stairway to Heaven, they innovated that song. But then anyone can take that melody and play it with their own instrument. So I innovated a new melody with the DNA strings of this body. Your, your DNA is literally vibrating like strings, like a guitar string. And uh, my song is not just for me. It's something that I invite others to take that melody and then make it your own. You know, you take it, you, you cover it, you run with it, you put your own flavor and your own energy into it. So the flying rainbow lasagna dance, it is a way of rearranging or restructuring your pre-existing DNA. And everybody has their own unique DNA. It's the book of you and it's unique to you. So my template can't be like a complete copy on top of you. Each one of you has to take my basic ideas. And then if you want to, as a tool, you apply it to your own journey. So everybody was born in a different place and has gone through time in a different trajectory. And we have, you know, like different footsteps that we are walking through as we go through our our daily lives. So the events and the healing that works for me in my life will not be a one-size-fits-all scenario for everyone else. Everyone has to have their unique healing, their unique – when I say healing, I mean like not to say that everyone is broken or diseased, but to say like coming to wholeness rectification, um, divine union, you know, the culmination, becoming the pinnacle of the best version of what you are. That's a unique journey to you. Climbing the mountain of of your life is a unique journey to you. But the tool of the flying rainbow lasagna or the technique or the way that it is done is like a song that you can apply to your journey. And it, it allows for 
greater degrees of freedom in terms of changing your DNA, that your DNA is not this static object that you inherited from your mom and your dad and your ancient ancestors. It's something that changes in response to our thoughts and our emotions and our environment. And that's the science of epigenetics. So I'm not just making that up as some, you know, wild artist or something like that. Scientists would actually affirm that that is something that's going on. Because so even if... That yeah? I'm going to interrupt you. Yes, Epi- please do. Epigenetics is for fetuses. It's for conception. It not, has nothing to do with adults. Actually, it does have to do with adults. If you take identical twins... If you take identical twins, if you take identical twins that come from the same egg, they don't necessarily develop the same life diseases. I want my one might develop cancer, but not the other one. When DNA changes, you get cancer. Changing your DNA is the first idea I've ever heard. Oh no, it's actually a wonderful idea. So cancer is not just a random cancer is not just a random genetic mutation. It's actually a program that comes from a malevolent thought source that is trying to harm humanity. So, uh, you know, the cancer does not just arise as it is said, like through like the shuffling of the cards. If you have an set of identical twins and they come from the same ovum, they have the same genetic blueprint but sometimes one will develop cancer and the other one will not. They start with the same genetic potential, but they express that potential differently. That is what epigenetics is. So I encourage everyone to look into the word epigenetics. And there's a really good research scientist. Yeah, there's a really good... It is the changing of the expression of your DNA. So this happens through a process called methylation. That means how curled up various aspects of your DNA is. If, if you have, for example, in an area of your DNA, if you have information about, let's say, how to develop a tumor and get cancer, if that area of your DNA is curled up tightly like a scroll or methylated, then your RNA messengers cannot access that area of your DNA. And what controls methylation or how tightly rolled your scrolls are is epigenetics. Epigenetics is tied to your thought structure, your belief structure, your feelings, your emotional tone, and also what you experience in your life in terms of carcinogens. That means, you know, chemical contaminants as well as radiation and other thought, you know, thought forms are radiation too. So, uh, yeah, just because you have a potential for cancer in your DNA does not mean that it therefore must be expressed. And this is evident in many, many pairs of identical twins. So the real, and if anybody wants to look into epigenetics, I would encourage you to do your own research and education. One really good research scientist is a man named Bruce Lipton, Lipton like the T. He's got tons of videos you can check out on YouTube and also lots of other writings all about epigenetics and how it is really the transformation of your genetic expression within your lifetime. So just because something is written in your genes does not mean that you are fated or destined to experience it. Everything from cancer to diabetes to many other horrible diseases can exist as a potential that does not actually have to be explored. And also, if you would like to create new possibilities that didn't exist as a potential in your DNA, you can create those new potentials, again, through epigenetics, uh, planting of a new seed, of a new idea, that something new is possible in your body. So if someone tells you, you have this test, you have this genetic potential, you are definitely going to get cancer, it's planting a seed in your mind that then the DNA, the timelines, and your physical body follow with those dance movements of creating cancer. But if you are told, 
hey, you have an alternative. You can dance your DNA in a different format. You don't necessarily have to develop the expression of that genetic potential. And this goes further because this even goes into events. Events of your life exist as a set of genetic potentials within your body. And so I'm trying to say your DNA is not just a blueprint of your physical protein structures of your body. It's also a blueprint for events in your life. And your DNA dance connects you directly to time. So if you can transform your DNA dance, you can transform your trajectory as you fly through time. You can set up a different set of experiences and opportunities and, you know, life, life edifices than the ones that were presented to you by your parents and your ancestors at birth. And that's really important, or, or whomever, that, that you're programmed with by society or by religion or by any of the other pre-existing belief structures that came from humanity. If you want to have a new experience, you can have a new experience through your own self-chosen platform. I'm sure you have many questions. I'm feeling pretty useless here. I've been talking about epigenetics and methylization for over 50 years because it's extremely How wonderful. It's extremely important when we're pregnant. It has no place of any kind in adult human beings. Actually, it does. If you, if you look at the difference between identical twins, the difference between one getting cancer and the other one is through methylation. Not much point in my talking if I get cut off every time I say anything. Do you have any questions for me, Susan? What is the hardest part about being on the planet, non-human? Wow. Well, as a newcomer to this world, I find that it is very challenging to share the ideas and information that I come with. It's been truly an uphill battle to be able to get past people's preconceptions and a lot of the social and cultural, let's call it, smudges on the lens that make it a challenge for me to be able to effectively share the information that I come here with. Is there hope? Of course there's hope because with things like the flying rainbow lasagna, it means you don't simply have to experience all of the end results of the programs that you've been given by, let's say, your culture and society and religion that tell you you are made to come here, achieve increased decrepitude as you move chronologically through time, and then eventually die. That's the program that you're given, not by the divine, not by, like, you know, nature as you come here, but that's what you're taught by human society and religion and uh, objective materialist viewpoints. And actually, you don't have to have that trajectory. You can have a completely new and different trajectory where you redefine what it means to move through time chronologically. And you do not have to do what I call hit the membrane of death. Death is actually a place, if you look at time as a diagram, and you don't have to drive 
quote unquote, the vehicle of your body, quote unquote, to that place, if you can control the dance of your DNA. Now, Susan, I'm sensing from you that you're relatively hostile to the idea that anybody can control their DNA, that anybody can control or affect the behavior of their DNA as they're dancing through time. I'm an awesome example of this. I've totally, um, let's say, used the flying rainbow lasagna to change the dance of my DNA so that I didn't have to experience um, not only decrepitude, as I've been here for 18 years in this body, and I didn't have to experience decrepitude, but I've also experienced profound healing from neurological damage that, I, that the previous occupant of this body experienced in coming in here. I didn't really get a chance to be able to share with your listening audience that I'm a galactic walk-in and that that's where this information comes from. So, uh, yeah, what killed the previous occupant of this body left behind an artifact of neurological damage and flying rainbow lasagna has made it possible for me to transcend those biological difficulties. So all of these things become possible to a person such as anyone who's listening who might want to take the flying rainbow lasagna concept and apply it to their own body so that you can move through time differently, so that you don't have to get um, uh, decrepit as you move through time. That's another program that we give to little tiny infants as they come here. Little infants come here with their dance, doing a DNA dance of eternal life. And at a certain point, little infants are given the program of death, possibly through the death of a loved one or a goldfish, a pet or something like that. But little, little kids experience that something dies and they say, what happened? And they're told by the adults around them, oh, they went bye-bye, they're gone. And that information is planting a seed in the vibrating dance of these young babies' DNA that then tells them death is a thing. And the other part of the program says, and you will experience it one day too. But it is not an inevitability. And there was actually a time on this planet before death was invented when nobody died and nothing died. As much as that might be a challenge, like you might have to do yoga of perception to even stretch your mind to conceive of a world where nothing ever died and nothing ever hit the membrane of death, there absolutely was a time. And what we are doing right now is rectifying the genetic squashing or diminishment that happened on this planet in order to return to a time when nothing has to die. I know that's a radical statement. What is a full-spectrum human? A full-spectrum human is someone who is embodying and focusing their attention on not only the first three layers of their being, such as their physicality, their mammalian emotions, and their human intellect. For about all of human history, the past 6,000 years, those three layers of being have been what humans have used to define self, a body with some barbarian animalistic emotions and a very thin layer of human intellect to mitigate all of those. But we are actually also a very large portion of self that is called the higher faculties. It's everything from unconditional love, which is that actual tone that I played for you, la, 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 a tone, a musical tone, and also the higher faculties of communication, insight, and connection to the higher dimensional, less dense realms. So if we were talking about the colors of the rainbow, red, orange, and yellow, that's physical, emotional, and intellect. Green is unconditional love, and the blues and purples, that's the ability to communicate insight, which is pure understanding beyond physical words, and then the connection to higher dimensional, less dense realms. So each person right now on Earth 
has the potential to be a full-spectrum human. What you can do is, as I said, increase your awareness to claim these other layers of being that are less dense than the three that are traditionally recognized. And it takes effort and willpower and is also part of the genetic rectification. This goes interestingly um, with the lesson that I was doing with my apprentice today. And we're deep into plant language and we're looking at colors and how they relate to plants and how they relate to chakras. And I was telling her about how easy the very fast waves of energy can get into the brain and into the emotions and into the throat and that that's called being high. And basically what it means is that you don't, you're not in touch at all and that what you want to do is to sink down through your heart and down into the yellow, orange, and red so that you can be manifest and you can be part of the earth and that the more people who go up into the blue and purple, the more threat of extinction and the more of us who get down and get into the earth and get rooted, the greater our chance of survival. So once again... That's very interesting and wonderful. Disagree. Oh, well, yeah, I think it's really important to embody all of the layers of uh, light that are coming to us from the sun. That's what red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet are. It's literally the energy of consciousness that comes from the sun, which is our nearest star, which is the stellar network, which is where we get literally all of our biological energy, all of our consciousness energy, all of our non-physical energy in terms of time, and embodying our, you know, human physical self in terms of the red, orange, yellow aspect is half of the journey and embodying our higher dimensional self is the other half of the journey and it's called becoming a whole person. Right, and I find that the easiest half because those are so fast and that when people pursue them, especially if they haven't done the work to get grounded, they go off into wild fantasies of dancing away cancer and living forever on a plant with limited resources. We have come almost to the end of the show, and I always give my guests the last minute to answer this question. What would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds and the consciousnesses of everyone who's listening to you tonight? That far from a wild fantasy, the flying ring lasagna is a very real, very experienced tool in terms of having a different improved experience on an individual level, on a collective level, on a planetary level, across all time and in the cosmos. And I would invite anyone who has an interest and a desire to learn more to please to check out my website, flyingrainbowlasagna.com, and the information and artwork that I have there. And Susan, thank you so much for inviting me on your show. Aurora, it's been quite the thrill to have you here. Rebecca, thank you so much for helping me in my quest to return herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine, keeping us grounded, keeping our fingers in the earth. And hey, Justine, I thought you had recorded a new introduction. Whatever happened to that, I can see. When I go over there on Thursday, I'm going to have to jiggle some things and see if we can get our new introduction, which includes the fact that we have the wisewomanschool.com and a brand new book, and there's tons of interesting stuff going on at wisewomanschool.com, so check that out, and soon, soon, abundantly well, will be in your hands. Green blessings, everybody. Good night. Good night, Rebecca. Good night, Aurora. Good night, everybody. Green blessings, everyone. Good night. <laughs>